This episode is brought to you by Progressive Insurance. Whether you love true crime or comedy, celebrity interviews or news, you call the shots on what's in your podcast queue. And guess what? Now you can call them on your auto insurance too with the Name Your Price tool from Progressive. It works just the way it sounds. You tell Progressive how much you want to pay for car insurance, and they'll show you coverage options that fit your budget. Get your quote today at Progressive.com to join the over 28 million drivers who trust Progressive. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law. Hey, this is Tarek Skubal, and you're listening to the Road to Detroit podcast. You're on the Road to Detroit, the podcast. Here's your host, Dan Hasty. Jay Allen, that's a good man right there. Welcome back, everybody. Road to Detroit podcast, episode 12. Glad to have you on board. Can you believe it? We're at the quarter pole of the road to Detroit. Where's Dave Johnson, the horse racing announcer? And down the stretch they come. <laughs> it's another episode of Road to Detroit. We're so glad to have you along with us for episode 12. We've got a lot to cover, and we'll have a little mixture of new and old on the road to Detroit. I don't think you'll want us to call him old, but Brandon Inge is scheduled to join us. We'll talk to him. Part of the 2006 American League champion Detroit Tigers was such a huge part of some of those good Tigers teams of about a decade ago. We'll talk to him about his minor league journey. We'll also talk to Joey Wentz, the Tigers' newest number 10 prospect, according to MLB Pipeline, was acquired in the Shane Green to Atlanta deal. Travis Demerit also came over. We talked a little bit about that last week. Joey Wentz joins a phenomenal rotation in AA Erie. Casey Mize, Tarek Skubel, Matt Manning. Joey Wentz gets to join guys like Alex Fiedo and company in what has turned into one of the best rotations in all of minor league baseball. So we'll talk to Joey about what that's been like, how he's acclimating. We'll also look at best in class this week. We'll also take a special look into what's going on in the Dominican Summer League. We had a listener reach out, wanted to find out what some of the guys are doing down in the Dominican Summer League. A couple of notable Tigers international free agents performing pretty well down in the DSL. So we'll talk about that a little bit. But for now, here's the on-ramp. First and foremost, the Detroit Tigers were just named the number six minor league system in all of Major League Baseball by the folks at MLB Pipeline. A big reason for that jump, the early success of Tigers first round pick Riley Green, who has been tearing up the Gulf Coast League, went to Connecticut. He's certainly showing that he can play on a very high level despite just being 18 years old. He's got a batting average over 300 between those two stops. He has been everything the Tigers were hoping for and then some. He has turned into a top 50 prospect in Major League Baseball. Riley Green has now given the Tigers three prospects in the top 50. The other two fellow first round picks, first overall selection Casey Mize of last year, and Matt Manning, who has now worked his way within the top 30 prospects in all of baseball. So now three in the top 50 MLB pipeline also added that this Tigers farm system has not been this strong since the likes of Kirk Gibson, Jack Morris, Lance Parrish, and Tram and Lou were coming through in the late 70s. So off the top, that's good news. And again, 
Number six overall as a minor league system, Tigers continue to accumulate assets. And even though it wasn't exactly what we hoped for at the trade deadline, Tigers did get as much as they possibly could. And a guy like Joey Wentz, a top 10 prospect, he went out in his first game and he did well in double-A Erie. We'll get back to that. For right now, let's start with Connecticut. The Connecticut Tigers lost two out of three at home against Williamsport. Then they won a series on the road over Batavia. Riley Green, a five-game hitting streak. Some small growing pains at the plate. Just one RBI, no home run, just slapping some singles right now. Nine strikeouts in his last 10. Meanwhile, West Michigan, they had a very tough road trip. They went on an eight-game road swing and lost the first seven games of that trip. Four to the South Bend Cubs lost three of four against the Fort Wayne Tin Caps. They salvaged the final game of that series, but Danny Reyes was one of the lone bright spots in the Caps lineup this past week. Eight hits, two home runs, six runs batted in. Danny Reyes was a 39th round draft pick by the Boston Red Sox in 2015. Bypassed that chance to go play baseball at the University of Miami. All he did there was hit almost 330 as a member of the Hurricanes. Let's go over to Lakeland. The Flying Tigers won just one game out of four against the Tampa Yankees before the following three games were postponed due to rain, all three in a row. If that doesn't scream Florida State League, I don't know what does. Lakeland then swept Fort Myers at home. In one of those games, they were down 7-1 to one in the sixth inning against Fort Myers, and then they scored seven runs in the final two innings to complete that comeback. Cody Clemens had a big game. He celebrated his father's 57th birthday. Roger Clemens' birthday saw his son Cody go two for four, three RBIs. His 11th home run of the year was named a top performer by the folks at MLB Pipeline. Cole Peterson had back-to-back multi-hit performances this week, seven for nine with four runs scored and a solo home run. And by the way, congratulations to Cole Peterson. He was named the Florida State League Player of the Week. There's a couple of guys who got Player of the Week nominations in their respective leagues. We'll talk about that a little more, perhaps in best in class. If he can do anything at the plate, that guy's a major leaguer. We saw him play shortstop in West Michigan for a little over half a season, and he was a downright wizard at shortstop. To Erie we go. The Seawolves have turned themselves into a dominant rotation, and now we've been waiting for it, a dominant team. Three out of four victories against Binghamton before returning to take two of three against New Hampshire. Erie has been dominant here in the second half. Get a load of the record. The Erie Seawolves are 33-13 and 13 in the second half. Oh, my goodness. The Erie Seawolves have not only gotten some help on the pitching side, we know that, but the offense is starting to pick up, and it's been that way all year long. We've talked to some of the guys in Erie who have basically said, we're not allowing a lot of runs every single night. We're just losing 3-2 to two and 2-1. Two to one. Well, now they're hitting a little bit. Isaac Paredes, perfect example of that. The Eastern League Player of the Week held a seven-game multi-hit hitting streak, a franchise record that saw him go 17 for 29 at the plate. Uh, That's a batting average of 586. He ended up going 450 at the plate in his last 10 games. Six runs batted in, also hit a home run for good measure. Another great week for the pitching staff. At some point, we just need to do an Erie Seawolves rotation rundown and just lightning around give you every single name and their performance. We did it last week. Let's just make this a trend. Matt Manning, seven innings, three runs, nine strikeouts. Anthony Castro, seven innings, no runs, just one hit, seven strikeouts. Casey Mai, six innings, one run ball, seven strikeouts. Joey Wentz, we'll talk to him in just a little bit. Five innings, just four hits and a run. He struck out six. And Tarek Skubal. 
oh yeah, another double-digit strikeout day for Tarek Skubal. That's now the lightning round of the Erie Seawolves rotation. <laughs> Over to Toledo, the Mud Hens lost three out of four to the Louisville Bats and Indianapolis Indians, and they were swept in three by the Bats in Louisville. But Willie Castro continues to hit. Since the trade deadline, nine for 17 at the plate, three runs scored and three RBIs. There's a shot that he gets a chance before the end of this calendar year. Willie Castro has done nothing but hit here in 2019. Castro acquired by the Tigers in exchange for Leonis Martin last year near the trade deadline has turned into a top 10 Tigers prospect. He actually sits right now at number 11 after Joey Wentz was entered as the number 10 prospect. He's still been very good here in 2019. Batting almost 300 at the plate, a 366 on base. Gets a ton of extra base hits so far this year. 34 extra base hits in 103 games. He's got 48 RBIs. He's got 17 stolen bases, so he can run a little bit. The arm is good. It's a little bit wild. It's still working out some of the kinks defensively, but I think he'll be in Detroit before you know it. That's a look at the on-ramp. Couple of other items of note. Riley Green promoted to the West Michigan Whitecaps. He becomes just the second player that was drafted in the first round of this year's draft to make it to a full season affiliate throughout all of Major League Baseball. We've said it time and time again. If Riley Green was going to end up in West Michigan in 2019, it would have been a tremendous start to his professional career. Well, look at that. All of a sudden, it has come true. Riley Green will finish out his 2019 season in West Michigan. Congratulations to the number five overall pick from Haggerty High School. Just a couple of months ago, was playing high school baseball, and now he's in the Class A Midwest League. What a story. Congrats to Riley Green. Also, congratulations to Johnny Schreiber, outstanding sidearms pitcher who grew up in suburban Detroit. He was going to Tigers games as a fan. We talked to him a couple of episodes ago here on the RTD. He got his ticket to the major leagues, called up to join the Detroit Tigers bullpen. Johnny Schreiber is now a major leaguer. So congratulations to Riley Green and to John Schreiber. They have both had a very big week. The road to Detroit continues. Brandon Inge played a number of seasons on the Tigers minor league system, worked his way up to the major leagues, and we know the rest of the story. Brandon Inge joins us now. Brandon, welcome back. Nice to see you. Nice to see you too, buddy. It's good to be back. So this place, we're sitting here in West Michigan right now. You're looking out at the ballpark here in Comstock Park. This is a place that has some fond memories for you. It's got great memories here. Um, it's a beautiful ballpark. It's one of the best atmospheres that I think that uh, I ever came across in minor league ball uh, baseball looking at it now it's changed a little bit but it's still gorgeous man it really is got a beautiful day out here for a game it brings back a lot of good good memories in talking to someone who climbed the ladder of the minor league system there's a lot of guys trying to do what you did a lot of those guys listen to this podcast if you could give those guys advice the guys trying to come up in the system right now what would you tell them well I had a crazy run uh, to get to where I ended up um, but the one thing that will stay forever true is no matter what you're doing, you have to stay in the moment. You've got to stay right now because most of these guys right now, uh, into the season, they're trying to push forward, trying to make it to double A, to triple A, uh, to the major leagues. And that focus of them looking too far down the road sometimes affects a lot of guys. Instead of, I'm going to focus on this pitcher that I'm facing tonight or the hitters that I'm facing tonight, and I'm going to make the best adjustments I can, and I'm going to put on a pretty good show. You do that, that's how you make the adjustments. That's how you actually succeed and get to where you want to go. Looking down the road too far, that's where you get messed up. You get caught in the traffic. 
You saw a lot of guys make it to the big leagues. You saw many more guys not make it to the major leagues. And I'm sure you can remember certain guys who made mistakes. And obviously, we don't have to name those guys individually, but what are some of the mistakes that you've seen guys make while you were coming up in the minor leagues? Uh, honestly, the, the majority of the mistakes were attitude-based. Um, so, for instance, there was several guys that hit, hit better than I did, fielded better than I did. Um, had better numbers than I did, but uh, because they didn't show up on time, because they didn't put the work in, they didn't get in the weight room, they didn't stay the extra hours to try to put in the extra work, they just got passed by um, and, and written off, to be honest with you. So uh, hard work is something that every team is looking for. You don't want a guy that's just going to be average. You want a guy that's going to go well beyond because you know that when you get ninth inning of a game that's in a World Series, you want to rely on that guy that's going to be there for you. We're talking to Brandon Inge. So you spent your 1999 season in West Michigan, a couple of years in the minor leagues. What stood out to you about your time in the minor leagues? Maybe was it somebody or some people that you played for? Were there a couple of things that happened along the way? Is there anything that first comes to mind? Because you had to grind it out. Buddy, I've got a Forrest Gump story. It's ridiculous. I'm telling you. So I'm going to go all the way back to the beginning. Um, and when I say Forrest Gump, it means like I've been everywhere. I've seen everything. I've done everything. So... <laughs> I was a All-American shortstop and an All-American closer in college. All right, so two things, shortstop and closer. Detroit Tigers signed me in 98 um, and said, congratulations, we signed you as a catcher. Uh, so you want to talk about world-altering alt- stuff right there? I went from being a shortstop closer to a catcher. What would you say when they told you that? <laughs> Thanks, how can I help? I'll, I'll do what I can, you know? Good yeah, that's right. You don't want to clip your wings in the beginning. but uh, So... The first two years of minor league baseball, I had to learn how to catch, literally. I'm, I'm talking like learn how to put the equipment on, learn how to catch, learn how to throw runners out, uh, block the plate. And let me tell you, I got run over so many times, which that was probably one of my favorite parts. I was a little bit of a crazy guy, so I like that stuff. <laughs> yeah, you're a psycho. Yeah, definitely am, definitely am. Um, and many people would back you on that. But, uh, but uh, yeah, that, that road trying to get there is crazy. Going from a pitcher infielder to having to catch to how to learn to call a game work your way through and then coming here uh, to fifth third field with the white caps in 99 i had to learn how to put together an entire full season that was my first full season was here at the white caps and man i learned so much from that year just how to grind through the dog days of august you know those are those are rough rough days How'd you keep your body in good shape? I mean, if you were a pitcher and a shortstop, you weren't getting nearly as beaten up as you were once you became a catcher. Yeah, well, I I fortunately made it through what I needed to to get to my career, and now I look like a human uh, surgery doll. I've got surgery on both shoulders, both knees, wrists. I mean, it's I've, I've had surgery everywhere. So anyone says baseball is not a contact sport is full of it. <laughs> are you are you a kind of relieved? I mean, I, I know that you know you started out as a catcher, but you know, once Pudge Rodriguez signed with the Tigers, you got moved around a little bit. In some ways, that probably helped your post baseball career a little bit. Hundred percent. Being being a catcher was probably one of the best things that happened in my career. Also, one of the best things that happened in my career was having us sign Pudge Rodriguez because it allowed me to go back to my natural positions, which was infield. And it also allowed me to work more on my offense because in a catching standpoint, you worried about the pitcher, uh, all your fielders, and you care more about defense than you do anything else you should anyway. And so my offense, you know, struggled because of it. And then when I got to go back into the field, I could really concentrate on hitting how I could help the ball, ball team out by doing that. So, yeah, I've learned every position. I played every spot on a major league field on a major league field except for a pitcher. So, 
I know that Jim Leland was obviously a huge influence on you. We talked to guys who have played on that 06 team, and everybody just raves about what Jim Leland did. But in the minor leagues, who are some of the guys that helped mold you into that guy who made it up to Detroit? Well, Gene Roof is still in the system, and he was a great manager. Um, I'm pretty sure he's roving around for the Tigers now at this point. And he was my double-A manager, and he was a huge impact. Um, he was Bruce, uh, Bruce Fields was also the manager here in Whitecaps. He was a great manager, too. So those are the best managers. Sometimes people think the best managers are the one that's going to be the most rah-rah and try to be the most knowledgeable and push information on you. It's really not. It's the guys that actually stay out of your way and let you do what you're paid to do. How did the phone call go, or how was the conversation you had when you were told you were going to the major league? <laughs> that was another crazy one. I was, I was slotted to be the starting catcher at Toledo in 2001. So I went through all, the way, all of the major league spring training. Two weeks to go, they sent me down, which is exactly where I was supposed to be. Uh, Mitch Molesky was the starting catcher. One week before uh, we break from spring training, Mitch Molesky blows his knee out. And they call me into the office. They said, well, you're no longer the AAA. You're going to be the opening day starting catcher for the Tigers. That was under Phil Garner, if I'm not mistaken. Absolutely, Phil Garner. I'm sure it hurt him to have to put me back there. But <laughs> but it was probably the best thing because sometimes the best way to learn is to just get thrown into the fire. So it was an amazing experience and one I'll always look back on as a great one. I want to leave with, with this in terms of just your playing career and your minor league journey and all that. What are you most proud of when it comes to all the stuff that you did over the course of your major league career? Uh, probably, honest to God, the best thing that I ever got involved with was Mott Children's Hospital in uh, University of Michigan. And it wasn't necessarily because of Mott. It, they, they do a great thing there, but all pediatric facilities that are helping out with these children that are sick, I, it, it was close to my heart. Um, when I could walk into a room and I could see a kid smile, for the first time in a while because he's getting tr cancer treatment or something like that. And I could brighten his day for five minutes. It was worth it to me. So everything that I do beyond baseball now is dedicated to that, that style of stuff. And everyone has their niche. Every, you know, wounded warrior, like uh, any, any warrior things um, supporting our troops, I'm all in for that too. I found this out before the ball game. Your wife, Shaney, actually was the godparent of Chad Carr, the grandson of former Michigan head coach Lloyd Carr, obviously was the inspiration behind the Chad Tough Foundation. That's a very cool story. Not a lot of people know that, but it also explains why you guys are so big into helping this foundation. You guys have a couple other things coming up as well. I wanted to hear about this home run derby because I love the idea of you in a home run derby, so we've got to talk about that first and foremost. So, so tell me about what's going on with the Chad Tough Foundation and obviously why it's so important to you and what's coming up for them. So someone asked me to just do a, a fundraiser and they said, why don't you just do a home run derby and incorporate kids? I thought it was the coolest idea ever. Um, and so it's it, it landed in Battle Creek, just luck of the draw. It's just the way it happened this year. It'll be on August 17th um, in C.O. Brown Stadium. So the gist of it is you can have your kid anywhere from the ages of eight years old to 14 years old try to qualify to be thrown into a hat. If your kid qualifies, we have six guys that are going to take home run derby, me included. You got Craig Monroe, um, uh, let's see, Josh Colmenter, Nate Robertson, Mike Hessman, Steve Avery, myself. We're all going to hit. So we will all, out of a hat, draw two kids' names out. So these kids will get to be thrown on a big stage, and they'll hit for two minutes. 
we'll hit for two minutes and we'll take our combined score and play against one another and it's going to be a cool atmosphere there's a concert after that home run derby and then a huge fireworks show so a 20 dollars ticket gets you a lot of stuff but every bit of the proceeds that we have raised from this are going directly towards the chad tough foundation which is going directly towards uh pediatric brain cancer research and tell us how we can get tickets for that so you can go to uh, dingers for dipg.com and all the information is there you can get vip tickets or you can get regular uh, general admission tickets it's going to be a great show and for an unbelievable cause and i'm 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 sure that we'll do okay since we're having a two-minute time limit and we're using juiced aluminum bats so <laughs> i'm not going over again buddy i was gonna say now by the way dingers for dipg.com again thank you so much for coming out spending some time here in west michigan supporting chad tough and joining us on the road to detroit podcast thanks buddy appreciate it Before we get into best in class this week, one of the things we've been doing on this show is asking you to participate. You can find me on Twitter at ThatDanHasty. You can find the Tigers player development at Road to Detroit. And you can give us ideas for what you'd like to see the show talk about because this is a show for you. This is a show to tell you about what's going on in the minor league system. Not only do we get to tell you about it, but we get to talk to the guys within it. It's a really special opportunity, and we can't do it without your help. Our producer, Nate Wangler, had mentioned that someone had written to us asking us to tackle a specific subject of the Tigers minor leagues. Yeah, Justin Richardson on Twitter got in contact with us, and he said, first of all, he wanted to know a little bit more about the Dominican Summer League. Obviously, the Tigers had two huge international signings last year in Adinso Reyes as well as Jose de la Cruz, and he wanted to know a little bit more about those guys and how things work down in the DSL. And then he finished it up by saying, keep up the good work. He loves the show. Justin, thank you. You know, the Tigers didn't get a whole lot of attention for making a couple of signings, but they ended up inking a couple of 16-year-old kids from the Dominican Republic. Ranked numbers 19 and 23, respectively. Jose De La Cruz, an outfielder who was considered to have the best raw power of anybody in the international free agent class last year, was signed. Said he can hit the ball a long way, he can throw the ball a long way, and so far as a professional, and again, mind you, he's doing this at just 17 years old. His numbers have actually been really good down in the Dominican Summer League. He'll probably be tested stateside next year in the Gulf Coast League, but get a load of these numbers in the Dominican Summer League. He's hitting almost 300. He can run a little bit. He's got 12 stolen bases in 47 games this year. You stretch that over 140 games, you're talking about a guy that maybe can get you about 20 to 25 stolen bases. He's already hit eight home runs in those 47 games. He's driven in 30. Overall, he's got 26 extra base hits in 47 games. I mean, that's more than one every other day. So he's really hitting the ball with some authority, an OPS of just south of 900. To give you an idea of what a good OPS is, if you're anywhere around 775, 800, that's really good. He's near 900. So he's been one of the better hitters in the Dominican Summer League. We could very well see him as a teenager starting to play in full season affiliated baseball a couple of years down the road. The same goes for Adinso Reyes, the 17-year-old from Puerto Plata in the Dominican Republic, an infielder still working on things defensively. He's had a tough go of it on the defensive side, 17 errors in 50 games, but he's calmed that down a little bit in recent weeks. He had a really rough start defensively, but now at the plate, 
He's letting his bat do the talking. Batting 318. He's walked 11 times in 50 games, so he's got to bring that up a little bit. But a 369 on base percentage. And oh, yeah, how about this? In 50 games, five homers, 39 runs batted in. He's been really good with runners in scoring position. If you can be really good with guys on second and third base, they're going to find a place to hit you. He also has 15 doubles in those 50 games. So the extra base hits have been there. And the question was when he was signed was how quick would the bat take to the Dominican Summer League? Well, he's already hitting over 300, near 320. Adinso Reyes and Jose De La Cruz, a couple of guys we're going to have to keep our eye on who have excelled in the DSL. Justin, thanks again for the question. Let's move over to best in class. Let's go over to best in class. We'll celebrate of all the Tigers players in the minor league system. This one certainly made the most noise. Today, this week's edition of best in class, the winner is... Isaac Paredes, Tigers number five prospect, according to MLB Pipeline, still just 20 years old. I don't think we make enough of the fact that Isaac Paredes is only 20 years old. And so far at the plate, he has been tremendous, especially in the second half. He's coming off of a seven-game hit streak, but it's not just your ordinary hitting streak. How about a multi-hit hitting streak? At least two base hits in seven straight games. He went 17 for 29 combined at the plate. That's batting average of 586. We talked about this during the on-ramp for those of you scoring at home. And what you might not know about Isaac, being just 20 years old, that's tough enough learning the Eastern League. He's been excelling in the Eastern League. He went to the Futures game as well. That won a progressive field. But also, he has a little bit more going on than your average 20-year-old behind the scenes. He is married. He has a baby daughter. At 20 years old, that's a lot to put on one particular player, but all he's done is continue to produce. Get a load of these numbers. In the first half this year, Isaac Paredes hit 261. Now in the second half, he's jumped his OPS by almost 100 points. He's hitting 300 with a 390 on base percentage. He has more home runs in the second half, 40 games in, than he had in 62 games of half number one. He showed pretty well last year in the Eastern League. Tiger started him there again and wanted to make sure that he had his footing underneath him, that it wasn't a small sample size, that he was able to go back and repeat that performance. And all he's done is go out and do exactly that. And now he's really starting to come on. One of the things I like most about Isaac is the fact that he walks almost just as much as he strikes out. That's a throwback player. There are not a lot of guys like that. But Isaac Paredes, 47 walks to 49 strikeouts. So he's walking. He's putting the ball in play, most importantly. 102 games and 49 strikeouts. That shows that he has the ability to make contact. And when you're just trying to get a guy home from third with less than two outs, you need a guy who can put the ball in play. Isaac Paredes answered the call this week. He's this week's best in class. It's time for the honorable mention award here on best in class. As always, it's courtesy of our good friend, outfielder Dylan Rosa. Our producer, Nate Wangler, has that for us. Very good. My honorable mention this week is Cole Peterson. Now, the reason why it's Cole Peterson... The infielder of the Lakeland Flying Tigers. Right. Back-to-back multi-hit games, right? Seven for nine, four runs scored, a solo home run. And this is the thing about Cole Peterson, right? Defensively, he's spectacular. It's like highlight after highlight after highlight for this guy. What he does need to figure out is the power side of things, as well as to hit the ball a little bit more consistently. So if we continue to see what he did this past week... He could be very well be a major leaguer like you mentioned earlier. You know, the glove is a, it's a tremendous glove. Also, he's starting to hit a little bit in Lakeland. He just celebrated his birthday, by the way. Happy 24th birthday to Cole Peterson. But here's something he added this year. He doesn't strike you as a speed guy. When he was in West Michigan in 2018, he stole 13 bases. Here in 2019, 
He has 24 stolen bases, and there's still another month left of play. He's a smart kind of speed. There's different kinds of speed. There's just raw athlete speed, and then there's really smart speed. Cole Peterson's that kind of speed, and even though he might not be the fastest guy if you clock him in a 60-yard dash, he's going to be the guy that can take advantage of somebody to steal second base, maybe to take third and take an extra base when you need it. How long have we been dying for a player like that to get up to Detroit? A guy who can just cause disruption, but think his way through those types of situations. And he's just a smart baseball player all around. There's going to be guys that get opportunities simply because physically uh, they have the tools. Cole Peterson, a little bit smaller, but I, I tend to look at him kind of like a Dustin Pedroia type guy. If he can figure out how to mash and hit and run and just continue to be a smart baseball player, he'll be well on his way to Detroit in no time. You know, and even if he's not a Dustin Pedroia type, just be a functional offensive player. Just get guys over when you need to get them over. Get guys in from third when you have to. Steal a couple of bags. Play good defense. There's been a lot of people that have made a lot of money and great careers in Major League Baseball just being able to do that by itself. Congratulations to Isaac Paredes. He's our best in class. Cole Peterson, the winner of our Honorable Mention Award, brought to you by Dylan Rosa. The Road to Detroit podcast continues. One of the newest members of the Tigers minor league system and the highest profile prospect of the Tigers trades at the 2019 trade deadline is Joey Wentz. The left-hander from the Atlanta Braves acquired in the deal that sent Shane Green to Atlanta, Travis Demerit, and Joey Wentz come back to the Tigers. Joey joins us now. Joey, first of all, congratulations on being somebody that I know another major league organization valued so much to go after a guy like you. So congratulations on that. What a crazy week for you. Yeah, thank you a lot. Thanks for having me on. It was definitely a, definitely a little bit crazy, but now that I'm kind of settled, it's, uh, I think it's going to be a really good move. How did you find out? Um, Actually, on Twitter, I was sitting in the lobby in a hotel in Mobile, Alabama, and saw it on Twitter, and then, you know, obviously my manager told me um, from the Mississippi Braves, and then um, that was about it. How much time passes between you finding out on Twitter that you've been traded and then finding out from your team? Uh, it's probably like five minutes. I mean, I know that, you know, everything is on Twitter before it's actually you're told in person. So um, someone, one of my teammates is just scrolling and saw it, and then pretty soon thereafter I was told, told by the Braves. You end up finding out. What was your first reaction? And now that you've had a little time to process it, where are you on all this? Uh, first reaction, I mean, I, I, I was kind of surprised, but not really just because I knew the Braves were going to gonna try to acquire, you know, bullpen piece. And obviously Shane Green is, you know, about as good as they come. So um, I wasn't too surprised. And then, you know, right now I feel, you know, feel good kind of getting settled with, with the Tigers and, um, you know, came to a really good club. It's a really good player. So it's exciting. You come to a team with an unbelievable rotation. That double-A team, I mean, I'm sure you've heard about them, and I know you haven't been there long, but your early impressions. Who have you seen pitch so far in Erie? I'm sure you've heard about that rotation. Yeah, no, um, I've seen all of them except I think Tarek Skubal. He goes today, so I haven't haven't seen him pitch, but obviously, um, you know, Matt, Alex Fida, and Casey Mize, obviously they're really, really good and talented pitchers, and Highly touted guys that will probably have all have long, you know, long big league careers. So it's really impressive seeing them throw, and then um, really good bullpen, really good, you know, position players that hit the ball really well. So kind of everyone on the team, obviously, um, honestly, is kind of stuck out, and um, you know, it's really impressive. 
We're talking to Joey Wentz. So your first start went pretty well. You end up getting a victory in your eerie debut, five innings, four hits, a run, two walks, six strikeouts. You had to feel pretty good after your first one. You always want to make a good first impression. Yeah, I mean, I was, you know, I was happy with the end result. wasn't wasn't too efficient with my pitches, but um, you know, I was obviously happy that the team team won, and um, I didn't slow slow us down, if you will. But um, it was exciting. It was good to get out there again. It, I had been on a long break for my last start to that one, so it was good to get back on the field. And, um, you know, good to pick up the win. You know, your first couple of seasons in Class A, you know, the numbers were a little bit better. And obviously, there's a learning curve between Class A and Double A. What are the biggest differences from where you were the last few years to where you are now? Um, you know, obviously, my numbers in Mississippi weren't great. But I, I feel, as you, uh, you know, as best I have in my whole career right now, um, just kind of learn who I am as a pitcher and learn how to get guys out and um, really, you know, if I would take away a few outings in Mississippi, it'd probably be a lot better, but obviously you can't do that. But, you know, I feel really good right now, and um, really it was just kind of learning to, um, when to pick your spots and when to go after guys and when when to maybe slow the game down and stuff like that. How are you feeling health-wise? I know you had an oblique injury that you had to deal with last year. Yeah, no, um, you know, I feel great. Um, you know, I probably feel just as good now or maybe if not better than I did in, um, back in April and May, which is good. Um, so I feel really good about it, you know, hopefully finish off this, this next month, month and a half strong, um, and then go to the off season, but, um, body feels good. Arm feels good. You know, head's, head's clear, which is always good. I always wonder when it comes to guys like you guys that went from the high school ranks into the professional ranks about the durability side, because, you know, in high school, I mean, how many innings are you throwing over the course of a given year? Maybe 70, maybe 80 innings. And, you know, you look at the numbers and your first year in 2016, 44 innings, but then you go up to 131 in 2017. That's a major jump. Did you have to adjust anything to keep your arm in top condition considering how much demand there was and how much of a difference there was from your previous couple of seasons? Yeah, I mean, I just think, you know, it just gets down to, you know, your work ethic and, um, you know, had to take rest a little more seriously in professional baseball than, you know, high school, um, stuff like that, arm care, weightlifting and all that stuff. But um, you know, I enjoyed that about the Braves. They, they pushed young guys and, you know, that age wasn't really a factor. If you were going to be on the staff, you were going to get treated as such and, you're expected to go out every five days and pitch, which is good. And, you know, it's the same way here. Um, same culture. You know, they want to give the starter the ball. And, you know, our job is to pitch deep in the games and save the bullpen and hopefully keep our team in it and win. So, really, it was just, just a factor of taking care of yourself and making sure you're ready to go every five days. And, you know, I was able to do that my first year, and uh, which was good. Joey Wentz, the former South Atlantic League Pitcher of the Year, drafted 40th overall back in 2016. Tell me, how nerve-wracking is draft day? Uh, draft day is kind of crazy, honestly. Um, you know, obviously I knew I wanted to get drafted. and 40th pick is early, but it's still, you know, on, on TV it still took a while to, to get to that pick. So uh, once it happened, it was really exciting. I had a couple of buddies pick before me, which was cool. Cool to see their, you know, their, their goals and stuff happen. It was really fun, and I, you know, it was a family, so it was cool to share that with, you know, my mom, dad, brother, and sister, and, um, you know, it was really fun looking back on it. Probably wouldn't want to do it again, but, um, you know, it was good to have happen. I'm glad you mentioned one of your buddies, because Riley Pint was taken fourth overall in that same exact draft. I read that you had met him in second grade, so tell us about how that came together and what it's like now. Yeah, um, 
Um, you know, we played sports growing up. I think we played basketball and basketball, you know, growing up throughout elementary school and middle school. Um, and always played baseball against each other until we, you know, we finally played together on the same team in high school summer ball for a year. But yeah, you know, one of my one of my buddies, he's really talented, really great guy. So it was cool on draft day to see him get picked, you know, obviously fourth over. Yeah, fourth overall, third overall. Something like that, you know, really top five pick, which was cool to see. So, you know, definitely deserved it. I mean, that was a guy that was throwing 102, 103 miles per hour. I mean, you've got to be sitting there going, well, that's not fair. You know, you're throwing, what, 93, 94, 95. I mean, that's still nothing to shake a stick at, especially from the left side. But you see a guy throwing over 100 miles an hour, you got to be like, oh, come on. Yeah, honestly, it was just kind of something I, I, I got used to. Um, obviously, it was really hard, you know, when you're young, but no one knows how hard it is. You know, you're throwing when you're 12 or 13, and we got to high school, and, you know, people people saw him light up the gun. And then, you know, our senior year, we were we would kind of compete with each other, you know, working out and stuff like that, and we'd throw together. And well, obviously, I don't, I don't throw 102, but when you see 102 pop up on the radar gun, it's pretty impressive. So, yeah, I mean, he, throws, he can throw baseball about as hard as anybody in the world, which, you know, is pretty cool. I'm glad you're a competitive guy. You're going to have a lot of other outstanding pitchers in that rotation that you're in in Double A. I did read that you're a bit of a competitive guy, but sometimes maybe too hard on yourself. Is that true? Uh, yeah, I actually saw that too. Uh, I'd like not, you know, I I don't think so, but um, you know, I take pride in what I do and what I'm supposed to do and what my job is um, as a starter. And you know, I want to go out there and I want to, you know, I want to get all the outs selfishly. Um, and then, you know, hand it over to the bullpen when it's time to, you know, save the game and uh, stuff like that. But I, I don't think I'm too hard on myself, no. But, yeah, I just want to do my job, and I take a lot of pride in that. I'm always curious with guys that are considered to be these ultra-competitive guys like you. You know, one of the hardest things to do is to get out of a jam, right? A couple of guys get on base, maybe nobody out, maybe one out, and you've got to find a way to make it work. When you're trying not to let yourself get emotionally wrapped up in the moment, I mean, you've been in enough jams to kind of be able to think your way out of it. But what are the most important things to do when you're in a tight spot like that? So many young guys struggle with that. Yeah, I mean, um, obviously it's something I kind of had to learn over the years. But really, I mean, you just, I always try to think just never stop pitching no matter, you know, how many hits there are or what happened. You know, you're always, you know, one pitch away or a double play away, a strikeout away. So, um, you know, I try to never really lose that mindset. It's something that we were talking about with the Braves, you know, coming up is that you're always, you're always close, you're always one pitch away. And fortunately, you know, Throughout the years, we had some big league rehabbers, or unfortunately for them, you know, come and rehab with, with our teams, and they always talked about that, you know, kind of just keeping a level head and um, realizing the moment and trying to pitch yourself out of it, not, you know, not trying to throw yourself out of it. Which major league pitchers have you gotten a chance to talk to, kind of pick their brains, and which guys have helped you? Obviously, a lot of those guys, I would assume, are in the Atlanta system. Yeah, um, yeah, all Braves, just because I haven't been with the Tigers now long enough to to see um you know that that side of side of stuff but um you know just this past year i don't know if i to talk to him but i i saw him pitch is dallas keiko and he's you know he's obviously one of the best pitchers in baseball um cy young winner obviously really good and then uh also kevin gosman who i guess is with the reds now but he's also you know a great guy great guy to talk to about pitching and um he's pitched a lot of years so uh, just guys like that, and you know, not even really talking to them, just seeing how they go about their business and 
seeing how they kind of go through a lineup is really cool. Well, it sounds like you're paying attention. That's the most important part. And look, I mean, you're not always going to have your best stuff. So being able to find a way to make your less than best stuff work is just as important as just about anything else you can learn in double A. Joey Wentz, the Tigers' newest number 10 prospect, according to MLB Pipeline. Thank you so much for coming on and joining the show. Yeah, thank you so much for having me. It's now time for the road ahead. We'll take a look and see what's going on on the schedule for all the Tigers minor league affiliates. We'll start in Connecticut. The Tigers get a six-game homestand, three against Tri-City, three against Hudson Valley. Meanwhile, West Michigan goes to Lake County. They're playing the Indians minor league squad for three games against the Captains, and they come home for a seven-game home series against the Great Lakes Loons. That's an L.A. Dodgers affiliate, and then against those aforementioned Lake County Captains. Off to Lakeland. They go on an eight-game road stretch before for taking on Florida. Those are the Florida Fire Frogs. That's the real name of their team. <laughs> then they go to Jupiter for the final four games of that particular week. Over to Erie, New Hampshire awaits the Erie Seawolves in a three-game set. We'll be keeping a close eye on that rotation, and why wouldn't we, before returning home for three against Redding. The Toledo Mudhens come home. They have a three-game series against Pawtucket. Then they're on the road. They take on Buffalo, and then it's another visit to play Pawtucket. So a busy week for the Toledo Mudhens. Three at home and then six on the road for Toledo. Look, it's really important to us to find out what you think of the show. This is our opportunity to share what's going on in the minor leagues with you, and not only that, but a chance to talk to the guys themselves. So... Find me on Twitter at that Dan Hasty. Find the road to Detroit at Road to Detroit. You can tweet us questions, comments, thoughts about the show, things you'd like to see us do. Justin Richardson sent us a question about the Dominican Summer League. We tackled that this past week, and we'd be happy to tackle just a little bit more in the final episodes of this season of the Road to Detroit podcast. So do us one last favor, click subscribe. When you're done listening, click the subscribe button. Make sure you don't miss another episode of the Road to Detroit. And that'll do it for this edition of the Road to Detroit podcast. Our thanks to Brandon Inge, who joined us here on the RTD. Also, a big thanks to Joey Wentz. I can only imagine what it must be like to find out that you've been traded, especially on Twitter of all places, but to find out you've been traded and then have to go into a totally new locker room with totally new people and find your way around interesting young left-handed prospect and how appropriate is it that he gets slotted in to that eerie Seawolves rotation. So thanks to Joey Wentz, thanks to Brandon Inge, and thank you for listening another edition of the RTD. We'll be back next week. Can't wait to talk to you then. But for now, this has been Episode 12 of The Road to Detroit. Until next time. See ya! Okay, picture this. It's Friday afternoon when a thought hits you. I can waste another weekend doing the same old whatever, or I can conquer it. I can hop into my all-new Hyundai Santa Fe and hit the road. Any road. The steeper, the better. Because my all-new Santa Fe is available with H-Track all-wheel drive, so I can hit the trail without a worry in the world. Heck, with three rows and best-in-class rear cargo space, I can pack the whole family in with all our gear. We've got available dual wireless charging for our phones, so we'll never lose touch with civilization, and we won't lose touch with the primordial power of Mother Earth. So which is it? Waste the weekend or do something a little more epic? And conquer it in the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe. 
Visit HyundaiUSA.com or call 562-314-4603 for more details. Hyundai, there's joy in every journey. 